Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Jalani Tulo, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Burundi's President Pien Kurunzinza calls for unity. South Sudan President Salva Kiir signs peace deal with rebels. And South Africa's Deputy President wraps up visit to Japan. In economics, South African economy could be headed for a recession. And in sports news, South Africans await Rugby World Cup squad announcement. First up, the news with Jualani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. It's been 500 days since more than 200 schoolgirls were kidnapped by Boko Haram in the remote town of Chibok in Nigeria. Relatives of the schoolgirls are holding a youth march and a candlelit vigil to mark the abductions. Boko Haram fighters stormed the government secondary school in the remote town of Chibok in Bono, seizing 276 girls who were preparing for year-end exams. Meanwhile, ten suspects, Boko, ten suspected rather, Boko Haram members are on trial in Chad over the alleged roles in the twin attacks that killed 38 people in the capital in Jamena in June. They face a variety of charges, including criminal conspiracy and killings. The closed-door hearing is expected to last eight days. The accused include Nigerian national Mohamed Mustafa, also known as Bana Fanaye, who, according to Shadian authorities, was the mastermind behind the June suicide attacks that struck a school and a police building in Jamena, killing 38 people and injuring over 100. The political dialogue process to find a peaceful solution to the crisis that has ravaged Libya for over one year is drawing to its final stages. That's according to the special representative of the United Nations Secretary General for Libya, who is briefing the Security Council on Wednesday. Libya has been unstable and plagued by factional fighting since the overthrow of President Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. Stephanie Kutrix reports. It has been seven months since the United Nations support mission in Libya, UNSMIL, launched a political dialogue process to find a peaceful solution to the conflict, which intensified one year ago. The head of UNSMIL, Bernardino Leon, told members of the Security Council that he is increasingly confident that the process is drawing to its final stages. Mr. Leon added that the talks have come a long way in narrowing what he called the trust deficit that exists among Libya's political stakeholders. He said it will be the determination and commitment of Libyans themselves which will safeguard the country's national unity and territorial integrity. Basoto are eagerly waiting to hear what exiled former Prime Minister and Opposition Leader Tom Tabane will say when he addresses his first media briefing since he fled Lesotho. Tabane will speak from the Free State Province in South Africa today, where he has been holed up since May. He and two other opposition leaders, some soldiers, lawyers and journalists, fled the country, saying they feared for their lives. On Monday, Prime Minister Pakadi Tamusisiri said he had expected Tabane to return after signing an agreement, but clearly he hasn't. Ntakwanangatani reports. Musisidi said on Monday he had offered Tabani a government house and around-the-clock police security for him to return to Lesotho, but Tabani is still in South Africa. Speculation on social media is rife that he disagrees with Musisidi. To what extent? It will all be revealed when he delivers his own statement from Fixburg today. And finally, the Botswana government has undertaken to fully comply with the ruling of the appeals court to provide ARVs to foreign prison inmates living with HIV. This comes after government lost its appeal against the court decision in the capital, Khaborone. An NGO, the Botswana Network on Ethics, Law and HIV AIDS, brought the case to court. Botswana State Attorney Chu Chunchunga. The government of Botswana has a track record of 
complying with court order. We might be disappointed that we lost, but as usual, we are going to comply with the decision of the, the highest court in the land. It was not an easy case, I must quite. It had its compli- complications. Well, implementation, as you know, it's, it has to be immediate, subject to the practicality. Obviously, we have to meet with the concerned party and agree on a schedule. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unare. Thank you, Jolani. It is 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Burundi's President Pierre Nkurunziza has called on Burundians to forget their differences and join hands to work for the promotion of peace and security. Nkurunziza announced a series of measures to be taken in an effort to strengthen security in the country. Bernard Bankukira has more from Bujumbura. In his speech delivered on this Wednesday, two days after the announcement of his new government, President Pierre Nkurunziza called all Burundians to forget the recent electoral speculations and support the government in the implementation of his program. He expressed his commitment to combat any group that would want to disturb peace and security. Now that the elections are over, speculations about having voted for us or for someone else ended with July 21st. Now it's a new era to work together for our country, support democratically elected institutions and implement the political program for which we have elected ours. This is mainly based on the consolidation of peace, justice and security, strengthening of good governance based on democracy and the full and sustainable development. As you well know, the security is the foundation of everything. We will consolidate peace and security, and we must prevent acts that would be likely to disrupt, whether endogenous or exogenous. We ask the defense forces and security remain watchful, so as no enemy of peace and security would escape. In his speech, he reiterated his determination to quash all groups that spread insecurity and called all Burundians to work together with security agents to dismantle them. We will train the joint committees for security to equip them with strategies that will help them to better work in the collaboration between the public, security officers, judicial officers, officers and administrative officials at all levels. We will continue the civic and patriotic training to sensitize the public to form a strong front in the preservation of peace and security, each in their neighborhood or village. From now on, we will equip youth with the basic training to strengthen patriotism within the framework of a compulsory civic service, especially to university students. We ask the security committees to work day and night so as to dismantle all those groups killing people and spreading panic among the public within just two months, especially in the capital Bujumbura. We appeal to all Burundians to work hand-in-hand with security agencies to achieve this goal. We will continue to disarm the civilian population. President Kurunziza says the penal code must be reviewed to sanction any army officer who will contravene their oath in an effort to strengthen discipline in the ranks of defense and security forces. We will ask law experts to help us, if necessary, to revise certain provisions of the penal code to provide exemplary penalties against security agents who will be found guilty of murder or assassination crimes by using weapons designed to protect the population. Meanwhile, the spokesman of the Burundi government reassures the Burundian population over the threats expressed by representatives of the National Council for the Restoration of the Rule of Law when Democracy Senared, which claims it doesn't recognize the recently announced government by President Kurunziza. Philippines of Nariba said the Burundian government is able to protect the population, while several international partners always recommend the resumption of dialogue with all political partners. Philippines of Nariba said the government is always ready to dialogue with anyone but not with this group because, according to him, it's not recognized by the law. First, let me tell you that this council based outside is not a national council that can bind Burundians or Burundi. Burundi has a legitimate government resulting from the free and democratic elections that were organized for transparency. So to have a group outside the country contesting them is normal. For whoever wants to use force, 
a government has its full strength to protect the country. We have already shown it because there were many groups that have tried to use force and who have proven that it doesn't work. So the population shouldn't worry. And as for dialogue, if an association promotes dialogue, it will be welcomed by dialogue in accordance to the law. Everything legal will be respected. The dialogue is a continuous process, but we cannot involve invaders into dialogue. If they opt for armed dialogue, they will be welcomed through armed dialogue. Those who can be invited for dialogue are the traditional partners well known by Burundian law. So we can have dialogue in accordance with the law through legitimate and legal framework. We cannot talk with unknown groups who cannot take responsibility of their crimes they commit, of the crimes they commit. Bujumbura has become a scene of violence since the end of April 2015 following President Kurunziza to announce his candidacy for his controversial third term. As tension remains so high due to rumors across the country, all efforts to mediate conflicting sides have not succeeded so far. For Channel Africa, this is Bernard Bankukira reporting from Bujumbura. The atmosphere of silence has engulfed battlefields in South Sudan hours after President Salva Kiir bowed to mounting international pressure and signed a peace agreement. The agreement had already been signed by President Kiir's principal rival, Riek Machar, in the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa. James Shimanyula has more. The agreement has automatically brought to an end 20 months of fighting between government troops and rebels loyal to former Vice President Riek Machar. The agreement covers crucial issues that have seen the two one-time close friends go at each other's throats. The issues include wealth and power sharing, as well as security arrangements in the capital Juba and the rest of the country. The agreement also pushes for the establishment of a government of national unity that gives Riek Machar executive powers as the country's first vice president with James Waniiga becoming his deputy, conspicuously showing a sullen look after signing the agreement, President Kiir expressed reservations of the agreement, addressing his colleagues from Kenya, Uganda, North Sudan and Ethiopia. Kiir said, The people and the government of the independent and sovereign South Sudan have a choice. As all of you know, my people are yearning for the peace and my government has always negotiated in good faith and for a genuine and lasting peace that the people need. This is indeed on record. South Sudan may sign the peace deal at any time, even if it is not signed today for any reason but we will sign it. Ugandan president recollected the 20-year war that the people of South Sudan fought to free themselves from the then Khartoum bondage. You are fighting for the sovereignty of the people of South Sudan, the people of South Sudan to make their own decisions. That cannot be realized in war. When you have war, therefore you need to get out of this trap, remove the guns, give back power to the people so that the people can vote for what they like. Underlining the importance of maintaining peace in South Sudan, Ethiopian Prime Minister Hele Mariam Dusalen said, This is, you know, an issue that has to be taken seriously because going back again to conflict is no more what's wanted by the people of South Sudan, people of the region, and people of the global community. Kenyan president who has been taking the lead among East African leaders to ensure that peace prevails in South Sudan made the following timely remarks. There is nothing like perfection that can be found in a time of conflict. We must all accept that we need to give and take. And the most important aspect is for us to realize and to understand that if we have an agreement, even if we are not totally happy with it, so long as it brings peace, whatever areas of disagreement, rather than being resolved on the battlefield, those areas where you do not totally all agree, it is better for us to find solution. Ibrahim Awole, an expert on South Sudan political and military issues at the Juba University, reflected on the reluctance 
of President Kiri to sign the peace pact in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa when his political rival Riek Machar signed it nearly two weeks ago. He was weighing the consequences of signing and the consequences of not signing. Obviously the main thrust, I guess, that uh, put the president to decide to sign the agreement is the fact that he doesn't want to be seen as the person who is delaying the end of this conflict. He doesn't want to be treated as the person who is not for peace. So that one weighed very heavily on him and a lot of envoys have been coming to press him to sign the agreement. So you would have to assume that since they signed the agreement begrudgingly or reluctantly that they will continue to negotiate the text of the agreement as they implement it. The populations are actually not prepared in a way, in any way, for the peace agreement. Maybe not all the forces that are opposed to the government are for the agreement. And so if they continue to fight, then that is going to present a very serious challenge to the implementation of the agreement. That was Ibrahim Awolech, an expert on South Sudan political and military issues. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shemanyola. South Africa's Deputy Minister for International Relations, Llewellyn Landers, says South Africa welcomes the peace deal between the warring parties in South Sudan. Landers says the conflict in that country has worried them for a while. He was briefing the media in Parliament on international developments. The department has also briefed Parliament on the new UN development agenda. Joseph Musia reports. Last week, Rebel leader Rick Machar signed a UN-sponsored power-sharing peace agreement. The country's president, Salva Kiir, did not sign, saying he needed to consult first. He has now agreed to sign the agreement, averting United Nations sanctions. Landers says government welcomes the move. The situation in South Sudan has pained us tremendously, not only because this has uh, seriously affected the people of South Sudan, but also because the uh, participants uh, in that conflict uh, have uh, political ties with the African National Congress and will look at playing a positive role in ensuring that uh, this um, is strengthened. Earlier in the day, Landers led a delegation from the department to brief the committee on the post-2015 development agenda. The briefing was on how South Africa had performed on the Millennium Development Goals. While it had done well on the first four goals, it had not succeeded in implementing the other four. But now the MDGs are out and in come the Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs. Unlike the MDGs, which were mainly for developing countries, the SDGs are for implementation by all countries. International Relations Director General Jerry Majila explains. These 17 goals is for the all UN member states poor and rich, and expected to do this. As we speak now, you have to know that uh, around the world, one billion people live, still live on less than $1.25 a day, as we speak, around the world. Not only in poor countries, even in the rich countries, and we have 800 million people who don't have, still have enough food to eat, including in the developed world. That's why this SDGs applies to everyone. DAMP Sendikalian raised concerns that Parliament had not been allowed to interact with the document that will be taken to the United Nations for adoption by the heads of state. And this is a concern of me, of mine, in the few years that I've been here, is that reports go to the United Nations, but the Parliament has not debated it. And decisions are taken and then it comes back for rubber stamping, which in effect undermines the oversight role of the committee. Landers agrees that Parliament should have been fully briefed. He said, however, that his department is not the one in charge of this process as it is led by Statistics South Africa. It would have been better, certainly for our purposes and preparation, as, as Parliament to have had the report compiled and tabled at the very least three months before before the session, if not earlier. That would have afforded members of parliament an opportunity to look at the report 
And as the Honorable Kalyan said then, to, to have a debate. Makes sense. I'm Joseph Musia in Parliament. Too many people live in extreme poverty in our country. Our women and girls are hit the hardest. As the world prepares for the UN General Assembly in New York in September, SABC and One Africa call on South Africa and other nations to invest more in women and girls because when we empower a woman, we empower the nation. This Women's Month, we invite you to stand with strong girls everywhere. Join SABC and One by signing the Strong Girl Petition on www.one.org or visit www.sabc.ca. For more information, Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. For more analysis on South Sudan's President Salva Kiir signing a peace agreement with the rebels yesterday, SAFM Sakina Kamwendo spoke to Tom Wheeler, an independent commentator and former South African diplomat. It's not clear that the heart of the uh, President of South Sudan uh, is in it. We've heard about the reservations he has about it. Uh, it's a very uh, idealistic document. It includes a Truth and Reconciliation and Healing Commission, uh, and uh, the the you know the reservations about uh, Riek Manchar being the the deputy president again. You know, it has all kinds of uh, problems, including uh, in addition to the positives, and the the whole country is so divided ethnically that the fighting goes on irrespective of what the leadership do with this terrible displacement of millions of people, uh, hunger, children uh, not getting treatment, and so on. So it's one of the most difficult problems I think the international community has ever had to deal with. Mm. And, and and of course, uh, you know, um, he certainly still, you know, has some reservations about this peace deal, um, uh, Silva Kier. But it is obvious that, you know, he had to uh, basically cave in to pressure, uh, yes. not only, of, of you know, because of sanctions, but because of uh, the prevalent conditions in South Sudan. You have 2.2 million people displaced. And, you know, so something needed to be done. And of course, he didn't want to be seen as the guy who was, you know, uh, holding out. So the question then becomes, will this last, given his reservations? Again, that, that is the most difficult thing to, to uh, uh, predict precisely because there isn't any sort of unity of opinion. And uh, although the pressure from the regional leaders, the president of Uganda and Kenya and the prime minister of Ethiopia who were present at the signing, although that pressure is on and although there's the threat of UN sanctions and uh, the international focus on what's happening in uh, South Sudan. The problem is the interests of the individual leaders. Are they prepared to uh, put their reservations aside in the interests of the greater good? And there's no indication yet that that will happen. And, um, you know, uh, just looking at some of the challenges uh, that uh, they are looking at and the power sharing, as you say, very acrimonious relationship between Kia and Riek Mashar. So, you know, what are some of the other challenges that you foresee in this particular deal? Well, there's uh, another issue that's come to the fore uh, since the signing or since uh, this process started, that some of the generals who sided with Mashar who are apparently outside the country, have said that they will not recognize it. So they want to come back and, and start the war again. Uh, that, I mean, that's, you know, the most uh, obvious thing. The other is the extent of the work that will have to be done to repair that country. If one hears what the humanitarian organizations say, that all their hospitals have closed, all their, uh, you know, that hundreds of thousands of people are in UN camps under armed guard. They've got to go back to their homes. This is an enormous, enormous uh, process to restore that country to any sort of normality. And one wonders whether the government, even with help from outside, has the capacity to do that. And that was an independent commentator and former diplomat, Tom Wheeler, speaking to SAFM Sakina Kamwendo. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka, Na 
Now we ask you today, do you think all the parties to the South Sudan peace deal are fully committed? Give us your thoughts or your views on email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1. Do you think all the parties to the South Sudan peace deal are fully committed? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. A strong girl is a woman or girl who knows the full potential and creates positive change in her community. This Women's Month, SABC and One Africa are searching for one strong girl to join us in New York during the UN General Assembly in September. If you know a strong girl, nominate her. SMS Strong Girl and her name and contact number to 33762. Entries close September 4th. T's and C's apply. SMSs cost one rand fifty. Free SMSs do not apply. Brought to you by SABC and the One Campaign. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Let's go back in time to today in 1975. Deposed Ethiopian Emperor Haile Selassie dies, but the cause of his death remains a mystery and there were rumors of complications during a medical procedure, but the likelihood was that he was murdered. By the 1970s, Emperor Selassie's apparent indifference to a major famine in the country resulted in the loss of popular support. In 1974, he was dethroned in a military coup by his successor, Mengistu Haile Mariam. Let's listen to Empress Haile Selassie. I have returned to this beautiful land only a few hours ago. Your Majesty has made me feel almost as if I had never departed already 14 years ago. Since that event, my recollection has been throughout the ancient years nourished in the memory of the hospitality of your royal family and of the friendship and affection of the British people during the long year of bitter and inserted advance from our homeland. The friendship of the royal house and of the British people alone sustained me and my people in our lonely struggle. That was Ethiopian Emperor Haile Selassie who died on this day in 1975. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South Africa's Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa says he is confident that China will recover from its current economic woes. Chinese shares have continued to lose ground despite the central bank's latest effort to reassure traders. The dramatic losses and volatility in world markets driven by panic selling has led to sharp falls in the RAND and other emerging markets currencies over the past few days. Ramaphosa was speaking on the sidelines of his visit to Japan yesterday. accompanied by a high-powered delegation and business people, visited Japan to promote South Africa as a preferred destination for investment. Amos Pacho has more from Tokyo. Ramaphosa says China's economic challenges are affecting many other countries and not just South Africa. China has been the world's largest consumer of raw materials and commodities in their drive to grow their economy, and it is Pretoria's biggest trading partner. The Chinese economic slowdown could result in Beijing requiring less products from the South African market. However, Ramaphosa remains confident that the world's largest economy can recover from the slump. Chinese economy is 70% controlled and owned by the Chinese government and they will take responsible steps to safeguard their own economy first uh, and know that because they are the number two biggest economy in the world, 
as they do that, it will stabilize other economies and take them out of uh, the doldrums. What can we do? We must just keep committed to the path we have embarked upon. We have a nine-point plan that the president announced. We must keep to that plan and make sure that we diversify our economy and diversify our, if you like, customer base, and we look at other markets. That's why we are here. Here in Tokyo, Ramaphosa met with Japanese people from various sectors, including mining, agriculture, and manufacturing. They raised a number of concerns, including electricity crisis, high costs of operating in South Africa, unstable labor markets, and delays caused by government bureaucracy. Ramaphosa reassured the Japanese that Pretoria is addressing all these challenges, saying Tokyo remains a strategic partner. The ocean economy is one of those that we discussed with them. They are well-versed in uh, shipbuilding, marine transport, uh, fisheries, uh, aquaculture. So we raised all this with them and said we want them to assist us to get into this and also to come and invest in those uh, areas. And we said we want to industrialize our economy even further. South Africa wants to tap into Japan's outstanding expertise in science and technology. Currently, South Africa has several students in Japan doing master's degrees in various fields of engineering. While the benefits of Ramaphosa's official visit are not immediate, he believes that the trip was a success. We found the Japanese businesses very, very responsive, very uh, appreciative of the difficulties and the challenges that we face. And they said, look, There are 130 Japanese businesses in South Africa. We collectively create 150,000 jobs directly, and there are other jobs that are created indirectly. And they said we are in South Africa to stay. The deputy president has also extended an invitation to the Japanese captains of industry to visit South Africa for further engagements on existing opportunities and prospects of expanding into the rest of the continent. I'm Amos Paro in Tokyo, Japan. It's 8.32 Central African time and our headlines up next with Jalani Tulo. Thank you, Lulu. Making headlines, it's been 500 days since more than 200 Nigeria schoolgirls were abducted by Boko Haram in April last year. The girls' relatives are holding a youth march and a candlelit vigil to mark this day. Lesotho's former Prime Minister and Opposition Leader Tom Tabane is to address Basotho since he fled the country. And finally, South Africa's government is considering the use of seawater for consumption. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Jalani. Today we ask you, do you think all the parties to the South Sudan peace deal are fully committed? Give us your thoughts on email at info at channelafrica.co.za or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or get a hold of us on Twitter at RiseShineAfrica or at Channel Africa 1. Do you think all the parties to the South Sudan peace deal are fully committed? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South African President Jacob Zuma will attempt to heal the rifts between the ruling African National Congress government and the judiciary when the two arms of state meet today. The meeting was requested by the judiciary last month to discuss what they called unfair attacks on the courts. The unprecedented meeting has been described by analysts as a bold move. Tsepo Ikaneng looks back at what has precipitated the much-anticipated meeting. Relations between the ANC-led government and the judiciary has been tenuous and a major focus since the dawn of democracy. The separation of powers principle has come under scrutiny with ANC leaders in party and government accusing the judiciary of encroaching on the executive powers. 
The ANC has also repeatedly expressed unhappiness with the pace of transformation of the judiciary. Most recent criticisms of the courts came after the High Court in Pretoria ruled that Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir be arrested during the May African Union Heads of State Summit. Concern was raised when Bashir left the country in violation of the ruling. UNISA-based political analyst Professor Lisiba Tefu warns that respect for the judiciary should be paramount. Respect is an inherent, an inherent trait of any judicial system. If those institutions collapse, South Africa as a country is doomed. Today's meeting was called by the judiciary saying that they have been facing unfair attacks. Chief Justice Mukwe Mukweng said at the time that criticism should be fair and specific. In July, ANC Secretary General Gwede Mantashe had accused the judiciary of interfering with the executive and the legislature, while Police Minister Natin Tlego drew fierce criticism for claiming that some members of the judiciary are colluding to produce anti-government judgments. In March, ANC Treasurer General Zuelim Kize criticized Deputy Chief Justice Dikamu Seneke for bemoaning the vast powers accorded to the executive by the constitution. UNISA-based political analyst Professor Lisiba Tefu argues that the rising incidents of public attacks on the judiciary is dangerous development which could encourage citizens to undermine the rule of law. I trust and hope that this meeting will yield something good and the legitimacy, the respect and the honor that the judges ought to enjoy are restored and bestowed upon them. Even when we differ with them, a modicum of respect should be bestowed upon those offices because the least we want to do is to delegitimize them and render them irrelevant, redundant and less honorable in the eyes of the ordinary people, especially your average man in the street. Because if that one loses respect, loses respect in the, in, in the judiciary, lo and behold, anarchy uh, will befall the country. Increasingly, the courts are becoming the arbiter when civil society organizations and opposition political parties disagree with ANC government policies. The EFF and the Democratic Alliance have successfully challenged some of the decisions of Parliamentary Speaker Balek Mbete in the courts. In the latest move, the DA has filed papers to declare Police Minister Natin Tleko's report on Kanza upgrades as unconstitutional despite it being adopted by the ANC majority in Parliament. Independent political analyst Dr. Somado Dafikeni has described today's meeting between President Zuma and the judiciary as a bold move. The ruling party is also a governing party and government has not been doing very well in terms of winning some of the cases and therefore it may lend into that perception that uh, government and by implication the ruling party is under siege more so because of late most of political disputes end up in courts and sometimes the opposition parties would win some of these cases but i do think that a meeting of this nature ought to be a space we learn from some of the weaknesses of how things were done but at the same time make sure that the precincts of the rule of law are well respected, no matter what the circumstances might be. Dr. Fikede has also advised President Zuma to hold similar bilateral discussions with Chapter 9 institutions like the Public Protector and the Human Rights Commission, which have also faced severe criticism from the governing party and its allies. All these are institutions of our democracy. They provide checks and balances, and uh, we can ill afford seeing any one of them being undermined, seeing any one of them being weakened because those checks and balances are the foundation cornerstones of our democracy. And if we hope to consolidate and deepen our democracy, and if we hope to have a recourse for some of the poor and the most vulnerable in the society, these institutions ought to be functioning in the manner the crafters of our constitution uh, had in mind. President Jacob Zuma is expected to be accompanied by Justice Minister Michael Masuta and Presidency's Director General Dr. Keshias Lubisi. The Presidency says the meeting to be chaired by President Zuma 
is expected to enhance cooperation between the two arms of the state, deepen democracy, and underscore the rule of law as a fundamental tenant of the country's constitutional order. in Pretoria. It's 8.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1969. Dr. Christian Barnard of South Africa successfully implants artificial arteries for the first time. And that was today in history in 1969. Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Zorza. Africa Amuka Na Unai. The alleged shooter who killed two U.S. journalists during a live television broadcast has died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Vester Flanagan was attempting to outrun the local state police when his vehicle left the road and where troopers later discovered him in a critical condition. Flanagan earlier brazenly shot and killed a local TV journalist and her cameraman and injured their guest during a live lifestyle feature on the local broadcaster. Sean Bryce Peace reports. Vester Lee Flanagan managed to travel three hours from the scene of the original shooting before state troopers caught up with him. Sergeant Rick Garlitz explains what happened after one of his colleagues spotted the vehicle on the Interstate 66. Once that backup was there, she activated emergency equipment and attempted to stop the vehicle. The driver of the Sonic, Vester Flanagan, also known as Bryce Williams, refused to stop and sped away from the trooper. It was only a minute or two later when the Sonic ran in, in, off the road into the median. When Trooper Neff approached the vehicle, she found Flanagan suffering from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Flanagan was flown from the scene to a Nova Fairfax hospital where he died at approximately 1.30 p.m. today. We want the people that come here to say that was... Earlier, just outside the city of Roanoke, Virginia, a live broadcast disrupted by gunshots. Journalist Allison Parker and cameraman Adam Ward gunned down while interviewing local Chamber of Commerce head Vicki Gardner, who was shot in the back. She is now in a stable condition in hospital after surgery. White House spokesperson Josh Ernest was quick to react. Obviously, uh, the thoughts and prayers of everybody here at the White House are with the families of those who were injured or killed uh, in that terrible incident. The precise details of that incident continue to be under investigation. Uh, but as you've heard me say in the past, uh, this um, is another example uh, of gun violence that is becoming all too common in communities large and small uh, all across the United States. The alleged shooter, Flanagan, is a former employee of the same TV station, WBDJ7, where his victims worked, having been fired two years prior to Wednesday's incident. Using an account link to his former on-air name, Bryce Williams, he reportedly posted tweets after the incident claiming racism, among other issues, and posted a point-of-view video of the actual killing. Twitter quickly suspended his account. County Sheriff Bill Overton said they had not yet identified a motive. Not sure. We're looking into that. It's uh, that he was a prior employee there. We're looking at all of those dimensions, what that may look like. But uh, right now there's not been a motive as per se. It's obvious that uh, there was um, uh, this gentleman was disturbed in some way of the way things had transpired at some point in his life. It's, it would appear things were uh, spiraling out of control. Um, but uh, we're still looking into that. The White House has long urged Congress to pass legislation that would make it much harder for people to access weapons often used in deadly tragedies nationwide. Josh Ernest again. While there is no piece of legislation that will end all violence in this country, there are some common sense things that only Congress can do that we know would have a tangible impact in reducing gun violence in this country. And Congress could take those steps in a way that would not infringe on the constitutional rights of law-abiding Americans. And the President has long advocated Congress uh, taking those steps, uh, and the President continues to believe that they should do so. 
Both deceased victims were engaged to be married. I'm Sherman Bryce Pease in New York. Let's go back in time to today in 1994. Algeria closes its border with Morocco in an escalating dispute over the arrest of two Algerians accused of plotting to attack Moroccan banks, security forces and civilians. And that was today in history in 1994. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next. And I'm Tabiso Lohoku. The International Monetary Fund says the performance of mining, agriculture and manufacturing pose risks to Zimbabwe's growth forecast as the nation grapples with a drought and economic slowdown. Zimbabwe has been struggling for five years to recover from a catastrophic recession that was marked by a billion percent hyperinflation and widespread food shortages. On Tuesday, President Robert Mugabe predicted a major economic takeoff with China's help. Concerns amounting that the South African economy or major sectors in the country could be headed for a recession. This follows the reports of widespread restructuring, job cuts and retrenchments. Economist Marina Fesser. The currency that is, has weakened so much provides such a great opportunity for export sectors, both mining and manufacturing. But we saw this week that those sectors remain under, under severe pressure. Obviously, the global slump in commodity prices and demand um, have affected the mining industry in particular, and then the, the lack of electricity generation capacity have, have, have affected the manufacturing, but also many other sectors in our economy. Representatives from 39 African countries have held talks with U.S. officials in Oil Gabon this week. This after the U.S. Congress renewed a trade pact with Africa under the African Growth Opportunity Act AGOA in June. The pact aims to give Africa a new lease by providing relief to economies buffeted by the commodity slump. A failure to reform during the boom years that left many countries unable to profit from tariff-free access to the world's largest market, hence the new signing of a trade pact. Dangoti Cement signed contracts with a 4.34 billion US dollars with China's Sonoma International Engineering Corporation to build cement plants across Africa. The company, majority owned by Africa's richest man, Aliko Dangoti, has developed operations outside its dominant Nigerian home market in the last few years. Now, the plants, the plants to be built in Cameroon, Ethiopia, Kenya, Mali, Niger, Nigeria, Senegal and Zambia, with another in Nepal, will add around 25 million tons to the company's existing capacity of around 45 million tons. Oil marketer Total Kenya's first pre-tax profit has dropped by 5% due to inflation and volatility in international oil prices. The group, part of French oil major Total, posted a 8.86 million US dollar pre-tax profit in the six months to June. Total Kenya says the economic environment is challenging due to volatile petrol prices and the shillings depreciation against the dollar. One U.S. dollar trades at 13.12 in South Africa, 10.2 in Botswana, 8.41 in Zambia, 6.4 British pound, 8.7 euro, gold 1.127 dollars, a platinum 9.88 dollars an ounce, brand crude 4.4 dollars, 1.3 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update, I'm Tabiso Lohoku. Our sports update up next with Figle Lingwati. In our sports update this hour, we're starting off with rugby news. Springbok assistant coach Johan van Gran has admitted that there are plenty of nervous individuals within the Springbok camp ahead of the Rugby World Cup. 
that the squad to be announced on Friday in Durban. The Springboks are currently in training in Durban and Van Gran says they have discussed the sad reality of the players who will miss out on going to the World Cup and how important they could be if the Springboks experience any injuries during the tournament. Yeah, I think I think everybody is, is, is a bit nervous. Um, I think, um, you know, ever since I've been part of the Springboks, um, you know, it's such a, a massive, massive privilege to be part of it. Um, you can see, firstly, what it means to the nation. Secondly, you know, for you as an individual, I've been part of this, working with, you know, in my opinion, some of the best players in the world, uh, to see what they've put in day in and day out, and getting up early in the morning, doing a whole lot of days work, doing the extras even at night and then starting the next day again, you know. We want to give hope and, and within the team, you know, we, we are dream givers, we're not dream takers. Um, so, uh, obviously, very happy for the guys that, that will be selected, wherever they may be. And, you know, it's going to be sad for the guys um, that's not going to be in, but that's life. Van Gran says it has been a tough week of training for the squad, and the three training sessions against Namibia are also of great help to both teams. Yeah, it was a really tough week thus far. Um, put in almost three sessions a day for certain individuals. Had uh, three great sessions against Namibia, uh, which I thought was very beneficial to both teams. Um, put in uh, a lot of running fitness. Um, you know, we eased off the contact quite a bit um, and also did some more uh, gym work and conditioning inside, inside the gym. And in athletics, South Africa's Wade van Niekerk produced a sensational run of 43.48 seconds to snatch 400-meter world gold and upset a star-studded field. Van Niekerk went out hard and hung on in a desperate last few meters to hold off former world champion Lashawn Merritt and reigning Olympic champion Kirani James. Van Niekerk says he's happy with his victory. I think the, 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 the management was being a bit dramatic by saying that um, I knew that I knew that it was going to be a very tough race and I couldn't really claim it for myself until I get over the finish line. I just said to myself to try and do as best as possible. I was already thankful for the fact that I was in the final alone. And I just went on my knees before the race and I asked the Lord to carry me right through the race and that's what he did for me until the finish line. So I'm just grateful that I could I could actually get myself a medal and now I can go and stand at the podium and sing our national anthem. But it's been a dream for me since forever and now I'm finally here. Usain Bolt and Justin Gatlin looked in fine form as they ran the fastest times of the 200-meter semifinals yesterday to set up a mouth-watering second sprint showdown at the World Championships. Bolt, who beat Gatlin when they clashed for the first time this year in the 100 meters final, looked relaxed and took time to chat with a fellow competitor as he approached the line to win his heat with his first sub 22nd time of the year. The 29 year old, unbeaten in his favorite event at the major global championship since he won 200 meters gold at the 2008 Beijing Olympics, said he still had something left in the tank for today's final after clocking 19.95 seconds. Um, just a great time. It's going to be a good run. I think overall it should be a tough run, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, my favorite event and I want to win, so that's my focus. Yeah, because uh, as I told you guys, I need, I need runs and the three rounds of the 100 meters got me some runs and then yesterday got me into better shape. So if the more I run, the more better I'm going to feel, the smoother I'm going to look. So it's all about the rounds to try. Meanwhile, in the javelin, Julius Yego became the first Kenyan to win a field event at the World Championships with a massive throw of 92.27 meters. Yeah, I knew this year, you know, anybody who was throwing over 90 meters was winning. And luckily enough, I'm the one who has done that. And I'm so happy. World Champion 2015, I'm really happy. And finally, with the golf news, the Ryder Cup stars Victor Duboisen and Peter Hansen head up the latest event on the European Tour, the D&D Real Czech Masters. Last week's winner, David Horsey, is also in the field in the Albatross Resort near Prague. Nick Dyer reports. It's not been a great season for Duboisen, but a top 20 finish recently at the US PGA was promising, and he feels his putting has improved considerably on earlier in the year. 
He plays this event for the first time, aiming to boost his Race to Dubai rankings and here on the advice of last year's champion and Ryder Cup teammate Jamie Donaldson, who's persuaded him just how good the tournament is. Sadly, Donaldson himself has had to withdraw from defending because of a back injury. Hansen has had his injury problems. He felt he was sweetly on the way back with a fine showing in Munich, but had a relapse. He looks favourably on the Czech Republic, having won over a different course to get into the 2010 European team. Horsey trusts the form of Denmark will continue. Likewise, Chris Broberg, Bradley Dredge and Terry Pilkadaris, who all came close last week. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at this hour. Burundi's President Pierre Nkurunziza calls for unity. South Sudan President Salva Kiir signs peace deal with rebels. And South Africa's Deputy President wraps up visit to Japan. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuto Ramagata and Kumuto Mupulani, technical producer Vusin Kosi and Charles Moyo and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or an SMS on 277-969-57930 or send us a tweet at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Two-Face Idibaya with a song titled African Queen. Just like the sun lights up the earth, it lights up my life. The only one I ever see with a smile so bright And just yesterday You came around my way You changed my horse and way With your astonishing beauty Oh, you couldn't make a brother sing No ordinary thing, a supernatural being And no, you are brighter than the moon Brighter than the star I love you just the way you are And you are my African queen The girl of my dreams You take me where I've never been You make my heart go ding-a-ling-a-ling You are my African queen The girl of my dreams And you remind me of a thing And that is the African beauty Stand as one, we are standing one I look into your eyes Girl, what I see is paradise You captivated my soul Now every day I want you more I cannot deny this feeling I'm feeling inside No one I cannot take your place You cannot take your space But it's a fact I cannot erase And no you are the one that makes me smile Make me float like a boat upon the night Girl, you are my African queen The girl of my dreams You take me where I've never been You make my heart go ding a ling You are my African queen The girl of my dreams And you remind me of a thing that is the African beauty. Oh, you are my African queen, and I know. Oh, yes, I know. You are my African queen, and I know. See, I know. See, I know what I am feeling in my heart and in my soul Oh, I know that it is love And I know that this love was surely sent from up above Cause you're the only one that I think of You are my African
African queen And I know that it means that You're the only one that I will serve I'll give you my heart, my love My body and my money Every other thing you think of In a man who could think of anything better than you Who could think of ever hurting you Sacrifice my all, I'll give it all to you You are my African queen for real You are my African queen Good morning and welcome to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, broadcasting to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency.